Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Welcome to this week's episode of People First. And my guest this week is Greg Williams, the master negotiator and body language expert who has studied and practiced negotiation tactics and strategies for more than 30 years. He has spent more than 20 years studying the way body language can affect negotiation outcomes. So I'll be sitting very still and using my poker face throughout, just so you're warned, Greg. Um, he's written more than seven books. I'm particularly curious about the negotiating with a bully, but we're going to be talking all things negotiation and body language to help you elevate your own leadership presence. So, Greg, welcome to People First. Well, thank you, Morag. I appreciate the invitation, number one, and the opportunity to really put more knowledge out there that people can use immediately. Well, you've already done it because I've already broken the poker face. However, as with every episode, I always start with the origin story. So when you were a wee lad, Greg, I'm curious, what did you want to be when you grew up? And then we can explore the pivot points that brought you here to People First today. When I was a little, 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 little boy, the only thing I wanted to be <laughs> was grown. No. Oh, yeah, we all wanted that, didn't we? We thought being an adult and adulting was going to be so easy because you, you could do what you like and stuff. And then you get the other side of that veil and it's like, can I be a kid again? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But seriously speaking, from the time I was a little boy, I wanted to be a businessman. I, that that really? was... Yes, because I grew up in an environment where there were really no role models, and I saw a few, and I do mean a very few individuals that were business people, men, mm -hmm. men and a few women at that point in time. And as a result of that, uh, not knowing what else there was truly in life, and I'm speaking of the time I was about four years old, I, I decided, yeah, that, that's what I want to be. That, that's for me, a business person. So broaden that for me, though, because I'm picturing is that like there's a, a an image of a child with a bowler hat on, very British, bowler <laughs> hat carrying a briefcase businessman. There's the selling ice cream on the corner businessman. There's the mechanic in the garage businessman. Was there a narrower definition or was it all anything? Well, you just hit upon something that literally brought an image back to my mind that I had when I was a kid, and it was the briefcase. Now. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. check this out. When I was what was known then as in junior high school, it's now called middle school, I carried a briefcase to junior high school with me and dressed in a suit. <laughs> oh, how adorable. And I went how to public school. So it was like, mm. this guy is strange. <laughs> so you were learning to stand out early in an environment where you're supposed to stand, you know, fit in. Unbeknownst to myself, that's exactly what I was doing. Exactly, exactly. So I'm okay. So now that makes me think, because especially with your book, negotiating with a bully, I'm going to make oh. some assumptions here. Because having navigated my own middle school experience, where if I turned up with a briefcase, it probably would not have gone down so well. So what impact did that have on the relationships and for you? at school and what have you carried from that into your adult life? Well, it's interesting you ask because yes, I was teased a little bit initially, but I didn't care. And I say that to say it was really contrary to 
me always wanting to fit in, especially at that young mm -hmm. age, you know, be part of the group. And yet I did not care that they made fun of me. And it didn't last for long. People came to accept me for who I was very shortly. But then again, I was a great, well, a good, let's say, uh, baseball player. And I played ball for the school also. So that probably helped a little bit to overcome some of the annoyance that some mm -hmm. of the kids displayed towards me. But it taught me lessons that I didn't even know I was learning. First of all, I didn't realize I was negotiating not only with others to become more accepting, but at the same time, I was doing so with myself. And I know we'll get into the negotiation aspect of how one can motivate one to move into a particular direction. But that was the main thing I learned without even knowing I was doing so. OK, so let's continue that theme on negotiation and we can pivot into the body language piece. So as you work with leaders around the world, I know you're helping us to move from the school of hard knocks into more strategic, thoughtful, deliberate negotiations. Let's start with the dark side. What are some of the common mistakes that you see leaders continuing to make, notwithstanding all the books and the courses and the training? What are some of the common mistakes that we all make when it comes to negotiation? Believe it or not, now, dependent upon the leadership level to which you speak, a lot of people, and I'll phrase it in that manner without quantifying it, do not plan for the negotiation to come. And instead, they will make uh, what they think are plans by saying, okay, the night before, well, let me see now. This is what I want. This is how I'm going to get it. Okay, my plan is finished. And mm -hmm. thus, they do not go in depth enough to assert and or assess to what degree the limited plan that they have may alter and what they'll do to get back on track if that occurs. Now, when you actually enter into a negotiation, even in the planning stage, you should have a de detailed plan as to what you want to accomplish, how you wish to accomplish it, with whom it is that you're negotiating, what's that individual's past track record, what off-ramps will you set in the negotiation to make sure that you do not get bogged down at any one stage in the negotiation, because to the degree you stay engaged longer than you should in a negotiation, you place yourself susceptible to becoming more or to losing more of the negotiation is the way I should phrase it. Oh, interesting. OK, so so say more. So not planning, planning enough. We tend to wing it. Yes. Is that true, especially with the high stakes negotiations, or is that just, oh? No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Gonna say, or is that in general? That That's in, well, more, more so with high stakes negotiations, because you oh. have, by definition, more to lose, as it yeah. were. And you picked up on a body language signal, and I definitely want to talk about body language in a moment, because you saw me do like that, and you just paused. And let's talk, oh. I'm going to wrap body language right into. Go on, and do it, do it, do it. Yeah, exactly. So uh, a lot of times with high stakes negotiations, not only have they planned for exactly what might occur, but they've planned for what type of detours might occur in the negotiation. And body language plays a part in that too. Because if someone says, yes, I will... Um, I'll abide by this outcome uh, if we can strike a deal. Now, 
they are making nonverbal gestures along with the verbalization of that statement. And in a high stakes negotiation, someone would have taken into consideration the fact that that statement was not as strong and not delivered as precisely as, yes, I'll agree with that if we come upon an agreement. And now you may even notice the body language mm -hmm. in my head is nodding in agreement as opposed to, well, yeah, I think I can deal with that. Yeah. Now, now my head is saying no. Mm -hmm. And my words are saying yes. When you see a difference between body language and verbiage, observe the body language. The body always wants to stay in a state of comfort. And thus the body will always exhibit what it needs to do to stay in that state of comfort. And uh, let's just magnify that for a quick moment too. And we'll go back to the main theme that you just asked a moment ago. If a baby soils itself, it cries. Why? Because the baby is okay. out of a state of comfort. And we do that all day long. We want to keep our body in a state of comfort and we'll make certain gestures, touch ourselves or whatever be the case because we're trying to comfort ourselves. Now, in a high stakes negotiation, if by chance you've planned and you know there are tactics that you wish to apply that will make the other negotiator a little antsy, you want to see that exhibited in the body language gesture. So for example, if you and I were in a high stakes negotiation right now, and I said, huh, <laughs> see the reaction <laughs> well no i'm more thinking wow you're, you're such a natural in terms of maybe you should be a, in the movies the baftas it's the way that you are absolutely move you demonstrate the head says no while i'm saying yeah i can't even do it i'll go at a tangent it was making me wonder is can this guy actually you know pat his stomach and like do this because you've been training so <laughs> Now that's funny. <laughs> but, it, but what you're eloquently demonstrating for me is that negotiation isn't just what I say. It's what I'm thinking and it's what I'm doing as well. It's the three of them need to be in congruence. And certainly as I listen to leaders when they're talking about negotiation, the mindset can often be wrong because it's, it's misperceived as a win-lose situation. And for me, as I think about that, that's why you end up negotiating with a bully because or the perception you're negotiating with a bully because it's about win-lose, put that other person in their place, perhaps, or avoid being put in your place. Whereas can negotiation then, Greg, as the expert and the master negotiator, can it be a win-win? It definitely can be a win-win, and it determines greatly by the mindset of the individuals that are negotiating with or against one another, different mm -hmm. mindsets. Negotiating with someone says, hey, we're partnered towards a common goal. Negotiating against someone, the mindset is, I win, you lose. The only way you can win is if I lose, which is a more difficult negotiation. Now, you mentioned negotiating with a bully. Sometimes what appears to be a bully may be someone that has tough negotiation processes. Mm -hmm. strategies that they use that may come across as very stern. Someone that says, uh, look, I only have uh, about 35 minutes to complete this negotiation. I'm going to make my best offer right now. You can take it or leave it. Okay. Now, mm -hmm. depending upon how that's said, because here's where body language comes into play. And you spoke about the mindset. Body language can expose 
the mindset of someone, because again, the body always attempts to stay in a state of comfort. So someone that says almost the exact same words, Greg, I have 30 minutes. I'm going to make my best offer right now. You can take it or leave it. Now that's different than the first way I did that. That person is stronger, but is that person a bully? The way you then discern that is by testing. Well, why are you sounding so aggressive? Oh, that's my normal style of negotiations with people or negotiating with people. Okay, well, can you lower it a little bit? Because it sounds like you're trying to intimidate me and you don't want to do that, do you? Okay, excellent. So I heard the common mistake is a failure to prepare. So we need to spend a little bit more time thinking and planning about what we're willing to give, what we're willing to, uh, where we need to hold fast and our approach for getting conversations back on track like you just demonstrated. Mm -hmm. So in the moment, okay, so I've practiced the script and you're not following it. I can feel I'm getting nervous and twitchy. How do I remain at my best in the conversation when you when you aren't following my planning script? See, I mean, you're doing it right now. You're so astute. You're doing it right now because if you find yourself in such a mindset, get away from the negotiation table. Pause. Mm. Use any excuse to get away. Um, and you can have fun with it too. You know what? Um, I forgot. I got to go feed my cat. What? <laughs> you got to go feed your cat? Uh, yeah, and water the plants. Now, let's say you're at an impasse in the negotiation. And like you said a moment ago, the other person is just not following your plan. And the person goes, feed your cat. Aren't you serious about this negotiation? And it's like, yeah, but you know, things aren't going the way I thought they'd go. And as silly as it sounds, feeding my cat is just as silly as it sounds as to what we are engaged in right now. So I'm going to take a break, okay? Now, one thing that does is set the stage for saying, wait a minute, who's really in control of this negotiation? And here's a little sidebar real fast. The person asking questions in a negotiation is actually controlling the negotiation at that point because that individual is gaining more insight per the answers that are coming as opposed to giving more information that can be possibly used against him or her. So you talked about body language and negotiation and the give and take in the moment. I'm curious, how has negotiating through a camera changed your advice and guidance for leaders? Oh, I just wrote an article about that a few weeks ago. To the degree that you can see whatever it is you can glean through the camera, you then can focus more on some of the gestures as opposed to if you're in person with someone. Now, if you're in person with someone, you can sure enough gain more insight because I will look someone in their eye and yet I'm still watching their feet and see how they move their feet. And thus I'm looking at all aspects of their body when I'm talking to them to gain that extra insight that says, this is what this person is more than likely thinking at that particular point in time. When you're looking into a camera, yes, you have a smaller view, but like you laughed a moment ago, I picked up on that when I was talking about how we can alter a situation through someone's body language. And you can do that, do just that. Some people, it can become somewhat more difficult also because you don't get that full view of that person's perspective 
but you are able to hone in on more of that person's generic actions based on their facial features. For example, right now I'm going to smile and... And I was going to say, if you smile or laugh, that means we're aligned. If I did not smile or laugh, or if you did not smile or laugh with me, I would have probably done something else to see if I could make you laugh. Those are the cues you can pick up on to the degree that you are connected with someone and you are leading that person to the degree they wish to follow you during the negotiation when you're looking into a camera. So leaders, when they're reaching out to you, what are some of the challenges and problems they're hoping that you can help them to overcome? Oh, my goodness. Um, I have a major client that I will not name that negotiates multi-million dollar deals on a daily basis. This particular department is in charge of those that do the negotiations on a multi-million dollar basis. And yet, as good as those individuals are, there are times when you forget what role you're supposed to be playing during a particular negotiation. So I come in to tee the team up, as it were, mm-hmm. to heighten their senses of awareness about what strategies to use in a particular situation. Because you and I can negotiate today and we can have very good rapport and think, hey, tomorrow's going to be the same thing because we've adopted that posture the day prior. If by chance anything has changed in your environment or mine, we may not go into the negotiation with the same type of attitude. And one has to be prepared to adjust to make up for what we thought we were going to do today or yesterday, mm-hmm. today based on yesterday. Leaders constantly reach out and ask, how can my team become better? And that's what I go in and do. In terms of team negotiation, is your advice to go one-on-one or is it a good cop, bad cop, get your roles in place, but have a have your own team on one side of the table and the other party, whatever they bring to the fight? My answer to a lot of negotiation questions happens to be, it depends. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and I say that seriously to say, There was a session, oh my goodness, I'll never forget this one. There were three internal departments in one corporation that was supposed to be negotiating with an outside concern for let's say a component that was needed by the internal company. The three internal divisions or departments within that uh, corporation were literally going at one another much more vigorously than they were the outside concern. And I said, hey guys, you have to get on the same page. And the same page for them was, and here's something that you always need to be aware of. What are the goals of the individuals that may be leading the team that they wish to accomplish that may or may not be aligned with the overall goals sought for the negotiation? Those three different uh, departments, had individual goals as to why they wanted to outshine their counterparts inside of the corporation. We had to get that straight first. Once we got that straight, and that meant literally moving some people off of the team, we literally had to reset the stage as it were. But when you're in a negotiation, you have to understand what is being sought, to what degree will someone use a tactic versus that's nice versus a tactic that's strained 
or either one that's uh, very stern, and you base how you'll interact with them upon that. So how do you go about gathering that information? You look at and talk to people that they've negotiated with in the past, just to get some form of input as to how they might respond in different situations. So no negotiation is the same as one prior, even if it's with the same entities. Should we always play our cards close to our chest? <laughs> or is there a place for transparency that literally says, Greg, here it is, let's, let's get past this so we can get to the juicy and fun stuff? of the work that we're negotiating to do together. <laughs> Again, it depends. And I say that to say, if you're negotiating with someone that is very open, very, uh, hey, okay, I really want to make sure that both of us get what we can out of this negotiation, as opposed to even somebody that might be a bully type. Uh, if you're negotiating with the latter, you want to be open to the degree that you see that person is truly and honestly being open to, because you will instill more of the collaborative effort in that individual if you're willing to display your openness. Now, with the individual, the bully type, the only way I can win is if you lose. If that's the mantra that that individual has, you want to be close because you can adopt two different strategies at that point. You can either be close and see how that person responds or be slightly open to see how that person responds. Either way, you're going to get feedback that then tells you to what degree you need to adjust how open or closed you'll be. So you're the master negotiator. However, when it comes to negotiation skills, what's uh, not what's your Achilles heel, because obviously there are going to be people listening, but what's the area that you're continuing to refine and adapt for the 21st century? There you go. I'll word it a little differently. <laughs> okay. Well, negotiating with friends and family. Ooh. Yes, yes. yes. Because, you know, in a negotiation, people place value on the outcome. So with friends and family, the value that most people will place is, well, I want the relationship to stay intact. And sometimes instead of getting a 50-50, you might be willing to go 60-40 in that person's favor, 70-30 mm -hmm. in that person's favor. But here's the thing to always remember when you're negotiating. What we do is always done in our self-interest. And that means at the end of the day, you still need to feel satisfied with the outcome that you achieved in a negotiation. And if you're not, or the other person is not, people will try to wiggle out of a negotiations uh, agreement simply because they don't feel as though, oh, I could have done more, I could have done better, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they got the better of me uh, type of thing. So that's my Achilles heel. And, and my demeanor is to naturally give to people anyway. Yes. But here's how I have chosen to overcome that. Again, I want to make myself feel good about the outcome. And thus, there are times when I'll say, I'm willing to give you 70-30. Do you think that's fair? And I'll throw it back on the other person. Remember, person controlling or asking the questions is controlling the negotiations. Truth be known, some family members have said, why not 80-20 my way? <laughs> it's like, ah, family, what can you do? You have to live with them. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah. on building on the theme of relationships, what role have relationships played professionally and personally in your success to date? 
again, I'm the type of person that wants to make sure others are satisfied. But again, my self-interest says protect thyself too. So as I've negotiated throughout my whole career, I've taken into consideration what does that other individual really want versus what do they really need? And there is a difference. I want the world, but I can deal with a small piece of uh, earth uh, as an example. So you try to fit into that mindset and try to give that person what that person really does need. And at the same time, one thing that I am very much aware of is what happens tomorrow? What will the relationship be like tomorrow? And for those relationships that I want to nurture, I have in today's environment given up a little more to show I can be amenable. And then tomorrow I look for some form of reciprocity now, if it doesn't come, I then will adjust the relationship. But I take relationships very, very personal. And I thrive off of what I term good relationships. And I, I, I really strive hard to make the relationships, the interactions I have with others, beneficial for them. You're speaking my language there, Greg, the mutual <laughs> success and the we first versus the me first. So how do you do that then? What's one way of knowing who your true allies are and strengthening those professional relationships? What is it that you do? I ask them what is of value to them first. Mm -hmm. And then I observe their actions to see if their actions are aligned with those values. If they're not, I know that I can have a little small wedge between what they say and what they do. And I try to bridge that gap as I have my interactions with them to, again, fine tune the way that that individual and I will interact. And that's what it's all about. Noticing what someone says and observing what they do. What they do will always be more important to them. And thus, you know how to feed that part of their ego, if it mm -hmm. were, as it were. So as we come to the end of our time together, what's the, the gem, the nugget that you're hoping that listeners and watchers of this episode take away when they consider their own negotiation skills going forward? Remember, and it's my motto, you're always negotiating. The way you position yourself today impacts tomorrow's opportunities and or less opportunities. And it also impacts the type of relationships you will have and to whom you will end up either negotiating with in the future or with whom that you will not and how they will interact with you. You're always negotiating. And that's my real gem and takeaway. Thank you. So how can we learn more about your seven books, the work that you do uh -huh. and the speaking that you do at events and conferences? Well, first of all, people can reach out to me at Greg, G-R-E-G, -E at the, T-H-E, master, M-A-S-T-E-R, negotiator, N-E-G-O-T-I-T-O-A, ah, T-I-O-T-O-R.com, Greg at the master negotiator. We'll make sure all of that's in the show notes and spelt thank in you. a URL fashion. Thank you. Thank you for sure. And they can reach me at the masternegotiator.com. The other thing is I have a ton of Free tips. Like I said, I love to give away stuff that will help people and help them in their lives. So I have a ton of free stuff that they can uh, get at 
themasternegotiator.com. Now, my two latest books, Body Language Secrets to Win More Negotiations, I can't even get this thing straight, uh, is a book that you can learn a lot about body language and the negotiation process. And Negotiating with a Bully is one that you can learn how to get along with people that are not so nice at the negotiation Mm -hmm. table. And just meeting nice people like you and staying connected to nice people like you. That's how people can get in touch with me. Well, Greg, thank you for sharing your insights today on this week's episode of People First. And thank you. Thank you so much for joining MORAG today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.